leading us this morning. I love all that this season uh, represents, um, obviously, and um, I am known by many for um, my love of Christmas and the fact that I love it all year long. Um, I have a countdown in my office that will start on Christmas Day, 365 days till Christmas, and um, <laughs> Yeah, and Pastor John, I just laugh because every time he would come in and it was like 364, he'd be like, will you stop? <laughs> and so, but it's just, for me, it's that constant reminder that, reminder that this changes everything. Um, and if you have been here for any length of time, you know that I believe Jesus wasn't born in December. Um, I believe biblically that the shepherds would not have been in the field in winter for them and they, he would have probably been born at a different time of year, and that Constantine, when he rose to power in the Roman Empire, decided that this would be the time they would celebrate Christ Mass, the Mass to celebrate the birth of Christ. And they did it because there's a pagan holiday called the Festival of Lights, or the celebration of the winter solstice as the days get longer, that the believers wanted to continue to participate in, but didn't want to worship pagan gods. And so Constantine solved the problem and let them do everything they wanted to do and bring in all the traditions they wanted to bring and celebrate the birth of Christ instead. And I'm okay with that. Like, I don't care why it started, and I don't care when Jesus was really born. The point is, he came, he was born, and it should change everything. Not just change my destination when I leave earth, but it should change everything. And that's what we've been talking about over the last several months in the book, the, the Life You've Always Wanted. It's about what Christ has done, what he's made available to us, and how we live that out here on this earth. And the spiritual disciplines that the book brings out are the ways that we help reset our lives or the way that we help put them into practice. The spiritual disciplines are not like our report card. It's not like when we get to heaven, God's going to be like, okay, how'd you do on the 10 disciplines? Let me check. Um, the disciplines are to help this be a part of our natural, normal lives, to give us the life that we've always wanted. And so uh, we've been working our way through the book. If you're new and you haven't picked up a copy, there are copies available in the back. There are reading guides, and we're slowly going to make our way through the book. Uh, we finished chapter four in November, the practice of celebration remembering that we as people, even in the midst of chaos and hardship, need to remember to celebrate. We celebrate what God has done. And then chapter 5, throughout the month of December, we've been practicing the practice of slowing. Slowing. In fact, I took the sermon that I wanted to preach last week on Sabbath, and at one point in the midst of preparing it, I thought, this is so much information. And I felt like I heard the, the Lord, actually, I heard the voice of Tilly Walls, if you remember her, saying, she used to come up to me in the foyer after service, and she'd be like, Pastor Tom, that was such a great message, but it really could have been four. <laughs> no joke, she said it a lot. And uh, I, almost, I almost felt like I, I need to reach out to her and say, uh, Tilly, uh, I finally heard what you said all those years ago, and I took one sermon and I made it three. And so we're going to continue through that today, but I want to highlight um, next month, we are going to be doing the practice of prayer. 
the practice of prayer. And normally in January, we take a week, uh, a week of prayer, and we're going to do that again this year, January the 2nd through the 8th. It's on the, the calendar on Church Center, and uh, meet for House of Prayer every uh, night of the week that week. So Sunday, January 2nd, all the way through Saturday, January um, the 8th. And so on the back table, there are prayer guides that look like this, and they're free for you to pick up. And the reason I put them out now, even though we're not going to need them till January 2nd, is I know that during the holiday season and travel, um, many of you may not be here before January 2nd or on January 2nd, and I wanted to put a copy in, in your hand so that you can work through it with us. And every day, there's just a short devotion and a prayer focus for 28 days. Obviously, we won't be meeting together every one of those days, but I'd like us to pray together throughout the month of January and focus on praying for our, ourselves, our church, our nation, our community, uh, all of the things in the book. I want us to intentionally focus our prayers together. And so those books are free if you'll use them. If you won't use them, you can pay for them. Um, but if you will use it, um, they're free to you. Take one and use it, utilize it. They're on the back table. Um, there are more in a closet. So if, you, if, they, if we run out, we'll get you more today. Um, but you can take one per member of your family if you don't want to share or you rather have your own. Uh, there's a place to journal. And I encourage you to do that because God always speaks. He always speaks. The problem is we're too, too busy to listen or we're going too fast to listen. And in fact, uh, we may talk about that today. So back to December, back to our practice of slowing. We talked about hurry sickness, what it is, the, the natural way that our culture, our human nature leads us to just go quickly. And when we go quickly, we miss things. Um, we, we don't see things when we respond quickly to a text message, when we respond quickly to something someone else has said, when we do not take time to slow down, we make mistakes and we miss things that we needed to pay attention to. Or we have misunderstandings between us and the person we're talking to because we didn't take time to really process what they were actually saying. We just rushed into a response. And so we started this discussion um, last week of Sabbath with the word stop, because that's what the word Sabbath comes from. The word Shabbat that we were introduced to in Genesis chapter 2 last week just means stop, it means cease. We translate it rest, and granted that's what it also means. If you stop working or stop striving, you're at rest. And for the Hebrew, the weekly practice of the Sabbath was something they did every single week as a way to stop, to remember, to reset. And as we talked about last week, we have to remember that I am enough and I have enough. My identity and my provision are rooted in God himself, not in me, not in my performance, not in my ability to produce. And when we forget that, we try harder to produce, we try harder to make things happen, whether it's to get possessions for myself or to get a name for myself or a reputation or to make something work, a relationship or a job, and we, we just try harder and harder and I can't stop. And it's really not just about practicing a weekly Sabbath, it's about stopping regularly to remember I am enough and I have enough. Because the lie in the garden was that God was withholding something. I don't have enough. Even though Adam and Eve had everything on earth except one tree, it wasn't enough. 
And if we believe the lie that I don't have enough, I never will have enough, no matter how much more I try to get. And whether that's, again, possession or status or relationship, it will never be enough if you don't believe you already have enough. If you don't believe what God has already spoken over you, the identity he's already given you to you, that you are enough and that you have enough, it will never be enough. And when we fail to practice Sabbath, whether that's a weekly routine of Sabbath or an everyday stop and remember that, we get out of balance. In fact, Jesus himself had to remember what the Father said over him. Do you remember when he was baptized? Jesus, the heavens opened and the Father said, this is my son. And with him, I'm well pleased. And Jesus went into the temptation in the, the, the wilderness. And the first thing the enemy said was, if you're the son of God. And he had to remember he is the son of God. He didn't need to make stones bread to prove he was the son of God. He was the son of God. He was enough. He had enough, even though he had no food. Wow, that's profound. And this idea of Sabbath really goes through all of the scripture. And I want to um, I want to watch a video that I didn't have time to share last week, and it's by the Bible Project. And they're, they're talking about this idea of Sabbath, and they're tracing it all through the scripture. And it, it's kind of going to set the background for the rest of what I want to talk about today. So let's watch this, and then I'll pick up when they're done. The number seven is a big deal in the Bible. Yeah, in biblical Hebrew, the word seven is connected to the idea of fullness or completeness. And that's something we all long for, but don't often experience. Instead, we find ourselves working endlessly, fighting back chaos with no real rest. Yes. Now keep all that in mind as we turn to Genesis 1 in the Bible. It begins with darkness and disorder, but then God speaks to bring about light and order so that life can flourish. And this happens over the course of six days. Each day is marked with the phrase, there was evening and there was morning. But on the seventh day, something special happens. God stops and rests. Right. Creation is brought to its completion on the seventh day. And that phrase, there was evening and there was morning, it doesn't appear on day seven. It's like a day with no end. On the seventh day, God's presence fills his creation. The land provides for all of God's creatures, including humans, who are appointed to rule the world with God forever. Kings and queens of the seventh day rest. I can get into that. But the humans are deceived by a dark power, and they forfeit that rest. They're exiled into the wilderness, where they have to work as slaves to the land. Until they die and return to the dust from which they came. But God wants to restore humanity back to that seventh day rest. So he chooses to give the family of Israel that experience of ultimate rest so they can share it with others. But how? They're in Egypt, slaves to an oppressive empire who's grinding them into the dust. So God confronts Egypt and he liberates the Israelites, taking them through the darkness and chaos on the way to the promised land. Now, while they're on their way, they find themselves in the wilderness. It's easy to get lost, life is a struggle, they're not in the land of rest yet. But while they're on the way, God invites them in the wilderness to start living as if they're in the promised land. But how do you practice the future rest in the wilderness? Well, God tells them that every seventh day, they are to stop their work, or in Hebrew, to Shabbat, so that they can rest and enjoy God's good world. So take a whole day to live as if the ultimate rest has already come. Yeah, this is the Sabbath, celebrated every week on the seventh day. But there's more. 
The Sabbath is just one of seven festivals that Israel practiced every year, each one anticipating that seventh day rest. That is a lot of sevens. And there's even more. Every seven years, the Israelites were to liberate slaves, forgive debts, and let the land rest for a whole year. And then every seven times seven years was the ultimate seventh day rest called the year of Jubilee. If anyone had lost their land or gone into debt, all was forgiven, everything restored. Wow, so the Sabbath, these feasts, the year of Jubilee, it's all pointing towards the hope of future rest. Right. Now, when the Israelites went into the land, they forgot their God, and so they forfeited their chance for rest in the Promised Land. They're exiled and enslaved again by an oppressive nation, led back into a world of chaos and disorder. But Israel's prophets said that their exile would end one day and that the ultimate jubilee of freedom and rest would come, but generations go by and they're still waiting. It's at this dark point in the story that Jesus appears and he launches his public mission on a Sabbath day. Yeah, he read aloud from the scroll of Isaiah saying that it was time for all captives and slaves to be released because this was the year of the Lord's favor. What did he mean, this is the year of the Lord's favor? He was talking about the ultimate jubilee. Also, Jesus is claiming that seventh day rest would come through him. Right, he said that he was the Lord of the Sabbath and he confronted disorder and darkness in all of its forms, liberating people from sickness, sin, even from death itself. Yet, Jesus was killed, so even his work was undone. Well, it seemed that way. But notice, Jesus timed his death to take place at the end of the week. His body rested in a tomb during the Sabbath and on the eighth day, he rose from the dead. Oh wait, the eighth day? You mean the first day of a new week? Exactly. Jesus' resurrection was like the first day of a new creation, where God's light and life broke into the darkness. So because of the resurrection, we have hope in God's promise of future rest. But we're not there yet. It's like we're still in the wilderness, where we experience struggle and pain. But as we journey towards that ultimate seventh day, Jesus invites us to experience a taste of real rest now by following him, or in his words, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Pretty profound that, um, I mean, I love the fact that Scripture has so many different layers. We talked about this last week where um, you can actually keep turning it and always find something new. One of the things I've been doing this year is reading large chunks of Scripture at a time. So, I mean, I love to read, so I've been taking time to, I always take time to read other books. Um, but for this year, I have found that when you read an entire book of the Bible in a shorter span, you start to pick up on themes that you don't pick up on when you only read a short segment, like every day, like five minutes a day, you read a segment. Um, you don't pick up on the themes that are there from book to book and from within that book when you don't read large chunks. And so I've kind of put a pause on reading other books for a while and just felt like I wanted to really dive into the complete story of the Bible and go through the entire story of the Bible. And so I don't know about you, but there are times when I read a page, especially in the prophets or like in the book of Job, which where is where I am right now. Um, and I get to the end of the page where I've read like seven or eight verses and I'm like, I don't even know what I just read. My mind was wandering. 
Um, and sometimes I'm like, well, I'm sure it wasn't important, and I just move on, and I'm just, or I just refocus and just keep going. Um, but now I'm like, no, I got to go back. I got to go back to the last thing I remembered, and I got to start over, and I got to make myself understand what I'm reading and how that applies, because um, the Bible is a complete book. You've heard me say that over and over and over again, and I want to know how it fits together. And this idea of Sabbath is all throughout the scripture. Sabbath is a call back to the Garden of Eden, to experience Eden. When the Sabbath was given to the people of God, it was not supposed to be a heavy burden that they had to carry so that they have to like follow all these rules and can't have any fun on the Sabbath day. Um, that's what it became, and we'll talk about how we got there. But originally, God's plan was for them to experience rest, to experience the Garden of Eden, to experience the creative good that God made. And we do that now through our union with Christ Jesus. See, my identity is not how well I behave and perform. It's that I've put my faith in Christ Jesus. And so I don't have to try to produce something or be something. I receive something. I receive an identity, and I have to remind myself what God has said. I mean, I can also look at my life and, in fact, Let's go to Matthew chapter 11, and let's read th this passage of Scripture um, before we, we jump into there. And I, I may jump around a bunch in my notes today. Uh, I've got two weeks to finish this message, and so, um, but I, I just feel like we need to start here in Matthew chapter 11. And in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, the crowds, and next week, we're going to get into Matthew chapter 12 and a conversation that he has with the Pharisees again um, regarding the Sabbath. But th that passage actually stems from what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Rest. When we read that, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of rest. When Do you think that uh, that idea of rest means everything in your life is going to work out? Your kids are all going to come back to the Lord. Um, your spouse is going to behave the way you want them to behave. Your job is going to work out great. You're going to get a raise. You're gonna, that's what we tend to do. We tend to think that this idea of rest is... Um, like total peace, everything's going to go the way I want, I'm not going to have any red lights, I'm not going to have any, and so when things in our lives go like helter-skelter, we're like, well, I don't have rest, and I need you to stop acting that way so that I can have rest, and that's the lie, that I don't have enough. Right now, in this moment, where I am, what I have, I don't have enough to have rest, to be at peace. Something has to change for me to have peace, for me to have rest. No, I'm enough. I have enough. And Jesus, just like the people of Israel, had God speak over him. If you go all the way back to the book of Exodus, God brings the people of Israel out of Egypt and he says over them, you are my people. I have brought you out of Egypt. I have carried you on eagles' wings and I have brought you to myself. I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests, my people, my own possession, identity. They were slaves in Egypt. You're no longer slaves. You're my people.
people. And when you go into the land, I want you to not go into the land and think you have to work for it and you have to earn it and you have to just be slaves again and you have to get slaves and you have to drive your animals. I want you to learn rest. I want you to learn to rest in your identity. I want you to learn to rest in me as your provider. I want you to know my voice. See, I titled this message over the last week and now this and next week, Stop, Look, and Listen. And um, the type A personality in me wants to talk about look before we talk about listen, but look is in chapter 12 and listen is in chapter 11 and I wrestle with the Lord and I'm like, I want look first, listen next and let's listen today. And today we're going to listen. What, what's he saying? Do you hear the identity that he's spoken over? Have you put faith in Christ Jesus the way that the scripture calls us to? We've all broken God's law. We all like sheep have gone astray, each to our own way. We have all done what is right in our own eyes. And some of us have even backed it up with scripture because we can do that. We can twist this book to do what's right in our own eyes to give us what we want, even though it's not what he's spoken over us. We can deceive ourselves. And we can make it look good. The fruit in the Garden of Eden looked good to the eyes, didn't it? And it made sense to them. I mean, the tempter twisted God's words enough that it made sense to eat the fruit. And look what's happened as a result. We come to Abraham and Sarah, and God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. And uh, God... Okay, but now it's like too late. And so what do they do? They decide to help God out. Here, take my servant and build your line through her. And the crazy thing is, is God doesn't say, okay, because you didn't trust me, now you're out. No. God stayed faithful to his covenant to Abraham, even though Abraham really messed things up. The Middle East, his fault. Think about that. Everything we're experiencing today, even now, in the Middle East, is because of Ishmael and Isaac. Boom. Still happening today. And yet God doesn't write him off. God doesn't say, okay, because you didn't trust me, you're done. I'm going to go find someone else. No, he still works through Abraham. He says, I'm going to bless Ishmael. I'm going to bless his descendants. But that's not what I said. I'm going to give you a son. Through Sarah. And Abraham, head scratcher, how? I mean, it's totally impossible. Sarah's never had a child. She's clearly beyond childbearing years. How? A lot of times in Pentecostal circles, we get, um, we get given a hard time for emotionalism. So maybe in a worship service or you're reading the scripture and it just comes alive to you and God speaks something over you. And um, but then you get out in the real world (laughs) where there's no angelic choirs and uh, Christy and Sam aren't even there to help you. And it's just hard. And you're and it's easy to go say, well, that that was just emotionalism. And the question I have is, was it emotionalism when God spoke it in that moment? Or is it now emotionalism when it's hard and you give in to your emotions of that moment? Because if it comes from this book and God spoke it over your life, if he promised it, if he, if he put you in a direction, if he gave you an identity and a calling, when it gets hard, 
oh, there's no rest. He's promised me rest. There is rest. But sometimes the rest is in the midst of unbelievable hardship, wilderness-type stuff, where there's no water, where there's no food. See, we're not introduced to Sabbath again from Genesis chapter 2 all the way through Exodus chapter 16. I don't think I put this on the screen, but in Exodus chapter 16, the people of Israel, before they get to Mount Sinai, have no food, they have no water, and God says he's going to start providing manna for them in the desert, remember? And he tells them, every day you go out, you collect enough for the day. I want you to have enough for the day. No extra. You have to fight against this desire to get more for yourself, to establish a better life for yourself. I am going to provide for you. Trust me. I want you to hear my voice and trust me. And some of them still didn't. Some of them still gathered extra. And in the morning, it was full of maggots. And God says, how long do I have to put up with these people? They won't listen to me. And then he tells them on the, seventh, the sixth day to gather enough for two days. Because on the seventh day, there will be no manna. And still some of them went out on the seventh day and tried to gather. And he's like, what is going on? You're not listening. As a parent, have you ever said that? You're not listening. I'm listening. No, you're, you're hearing, but you're not listening. And some of us are hearing. We're very familiar with the promises of God. We're very familiar with the Word of God. We're hearing it. We're not listening. And sometimes the only way we listen is when we stop. And I don't even mean stop our activity. I mean stop the behind-the-scenes activity. Stop trying to work it out and figure it out and stress about it and make it happen manipulate the situation we rest we listen we hear matthew eleven twenty eight. come to me all you who are weary and burdened and i will give you rest take my yoke upon you now if you're weary and heavy burdened the last thing i feel like you want to hear is take a yoke all right that shows us we don't understand what jesus is talking about when Jesus talks about yoke, to carry the yoke of your rabbi means the, the way of their teaching. Follow the way of their living. How did Jesus live? He laid his life down. He loved his enemies. He did good to those who hated him. And some of us, we, we want to follow Jesus, but we really don't want to follow Jesus. And we reason why we shouldn't follow Jesus. That's impractical. That doesn't make any sense. That's not what we should do. And yet, his word from beginning to end tells that story. And yet, we're, we're hearing, but we're not listening. And look at this. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Your soul. Your emotion. I mean, I'm not going to take away all the, the pain. I'm not going to take away all the hardship, but... I'm going to be with you in the midst of it. And I'm going to work my purposes in your life if you trust me. And today, we, we do it all the time. We, we change jobs thinking if I get a different job, I'm going to be happier. If I, get a, if I move to a different church, I'm going to be happier. If I move to a different city, I'm going to be happier. I, I just got to change my outward surroundings and I'm going to be at peace. And that peace is elusive. I mean, it may come for a short time, but the problem is it, it, that problem comes back. Because we haven't dealt with the root of the problem. And the root of the problem is I'm still trying to control my life. And I don't want to lay it down and listen. 
He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I believe that's because he's already done it. He's already accomplished it. I don't have to make something happen. Now, here's the thing. In my life, things don't always go the way I want. Sometimes things don't end up the way I had hoped or dreamed or imagined. And in that moment, I have to stop and I have to listen. And I have to say, God, I know you're with me. Is there something I need to do differently? Or is this just where I am right now in the wilderness and I just have to trust? I'll be honest, I don't like to trust. I like answers. I like everything to come together nicely. I like straight lines. But life isn't a straight line. And it's hard. And there is nothing 